Walking along a cleared patch of jungle towards the ruins of Lubantum in southern Belize, Central America, I prepare mentally to connect with this ancient Mayan city. Somewhere between AD 730 and AD 860, more than a thousand people once lived here in a busy hub that exploited the area's rich soils, limestone and granite, to become a centre for trade. But before I can enter it, it seems today's Mayan descendants wish to connect with me. The grassy trail to the entrance of Lubantun is dotted with local women and young girls attempting to entice visitors to buy handmade baskets, hair ornaments and brightly embroidered tea towels. With 1,300-year-old Mayan ruins just a stroll away, I'm reluctant to spend time debating whether an image of a toucan or the Mayan calendar is most suited to my future washing up needs. Choosing a small woven trinket, I'm struck by the enormity of the women's task. Despite its place in history, only five to 10 people make the journey up the Toledo district's bumpy jungle roads to visit Lebantun on an average day. Welcome to Tailmaking. This is a podcast about getting your business message out with a particular focus on using stories. I'm Stephen Lewis, director of Tailist, a content marketing agency here in Sydney, and we specialize in using the skills of journalism and storytelling to make our clients stand out. And speaking of standing out, that wonderful piece of writing you just heard was from an article called Curse of the Crystal Skull. It's about Mayan ruins in Belize, and it appeared in the Sun Herald. It was written by Sue White. Sue's a highly regarded freelance writer whose work is published all over the world, but is most often seen here in Australia in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. One of Sue's specialties, as you can tell, is travel writing, something she also teaches. Sue's joined me in this episode to talk about giving your writing a sense of place. Sue, thanks, thanks for coming on. Pleasure, Stephen. Now, you, you and I have both done travel writing you've done a lot more of it than I have so you know even better than I do that a fair percentage of the population would put travel writer on their dream job list but how do you find the reality compares to the fantasy it's a great question because as soon as you tell anyone that you're a writer they're usually fairly interested but as soon as you mention that you do travel writing that's the phrase that comes out oh, that's the dream, you know, that's the dream job. So that's all anyone wants to talk about as soon as they find out that you're a travel writer. So it is something that people are fascinated by. And, you know, as someone who's been long obsessed with travel myself, um, there is a, a big dose of dream job in there. But the reality, yeah, look, I think it's, it's the best of times, worst of times thing. <laughs> There's so much about travel writing that really is, you know, what people probably imagine. But then there's a whole other world that is probably quite the opposite to what people might imagine it to be. So, I, I want. I sometimes wonder if, if, if the most extreme version of, of what it isn't, um, what people think it is, is when you're writing for a travel guide and they you know, they tell you, fine, you can go to Bali. But, I mean, you're not going to Bali to luxuriate in a five-star hotel. You're going to Bali to run around, jumping into as many cafes as you possibly can to look at what's on the menu, right? Well, that's right. And there are different types of travel running. So, as you mentioned, travel guides. I haven't – I've got lots of colleagues who've written travel guides for the big players, Rough Guides and Lonely Planets, and they very much have to write about 20 hotels and 20 cafes and – famously one um, writer that I was with on Lord Howe Island had to go and find out 
when the laundromat closed <laughs> and whereas I was actually I was actually off to the spa to have a glass of champagne before dinner so that was one of those moments where I thought oh, I'm really glad I'm doing feature writing which doesn't require that level of minutiae um, but you you are something I always tell my travel writing students is if you come back from a travel writing trip and you feel like oh that was a really lovely holiday I feel quite relaxed and rested uh, you probably actually haven't done your job correctly <laughs> because you sort of come back and I usually come back and I feel like wow I've just made small talk with people for mm. let's have been away for a week I've made small talk with people 18 hours a day mm. for the whole time I've been away and I basically push 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 I think oh good I've probably done a reasonable job then you, you and I have talked about this before, but there's, there's that moment when you check in at the hotel that's putting you up and the person checking you in is typing on the computer and then they suddenly stiffen a little bit <laughs> because there's a note in the computer, a, you know, danger, journalist, danger, journalist. And then Capitals generally there's a phone call. Writer. <laughs> yeah, travel writer. And the assistant manager comes up and she's got a folder in her hand. And the folder invariably, in, in my experience, it's been a while since I've done it, has a headshot of the Swiss general manager. And I often think to myself... <laughs> Very important. Yeah, when have the PR people for this hotel ever seen a travel article with a headshot of the Swiss general manager in it? <laughs> this is true. And look, uh, and it is one of the things... Uh, look, sometimes people get to come along with me on trips and they inevitably are always surprised at these, like, people, head honchos popping up here and there. Mm. You go to dinner at a lovely restaurant <laughs> and... You know, the chef comes out and has a chat or you, you go to lunch and then you realise that you're being accompanied by the marketing manager and they haven't actually told you that. Or you go to your room and it's beyond the folder, you've got quite a lot of nice sort of <laughs> presents. And yeah. so people get quite excited by it, I have to say, if they're there seeing it. But you do have to really remember as the writer that that is not the experience of the everyday traveler and that is who you're trying to write for so you almost have to kind of blank all that stuff out and try and get to the truth of the experience or you're you're gonna have a very diluted story it is in a way an introvert's nightmare isn't it all of that all of that small talk because it does start from check-in you're just how long have you worked at the hotel <laughs> this is Absolutely. the awkward lift ride up to your room <laughs> Yeah, and you need, and you know, for someone like me who is definitely not an introvert, it, it you know, it probably is the right job for me because I'm quite happy having a chat to the taxi driver and the um, the person giving out the towels at the pool and the whole show. I, I'm quite happy doing that. It, it is true that sometimes I think oh, I just like to be a little bit quiet right now, but you don't. You, it's not polite to do so. <laughs> but yeah, you absolutely are a, a chat. Uh, it's a chat fest. So now we've spent some time complaining about our difficult lives, um, getting free stays at five-star hotels. Very expensive hotels for free, yes. I, you know, I mean, obviously a sense of place is crucial, you know, when you're writing a travel piece. When you're looking at Mayan ruins in Belize, you, you have to take me there in the words. But you write a lot of things, not just travel. How, how important do you think it is in other kinds of writing to get a sense of place? I think it's really important and it's something that maybe creative writers do naturally and I would describe myself as a really solid non-fiction writer. So I'm really good at taking something that's true and turning it into a, a, what journalists would call a good yarn. Mm. And whereas, you know, if you're writing a novel, you'd be very 
adept at just writing this beautiful sense of place in everything and description in everything. But the challenge when you're writing um, for some type of format, whether that's a, a copywriting project for a corporate client or for a story in the Sydney Morning Herald, is that you tend to have very defined structure that you need to work with. But at the same time, you've got to capture your readers and people get captured by, you know, a sense of place and a sense of their imagination being able to see or smell, um, you know, what's happening. So you do need to be able to figure out how to do it. And and when when you're doing it, I mean, if we go back to the travel writing, which is obviously where, you know, where it's your, your bread and butter of what you're doing, I mean, that's where you exercise that muscle. Do you have a process when you get to a new place for, you know, I don't know, recording the sights and the sounds and whatever it is that's going to help you bring it bring it to life? Yeah, I think everyone does this differently, but I've probably cobbled together a a series of things that all add up to give me that. So um, I've actually got an appalling memory. I've got a journalist <laughs> memory, which means you get very engrossed in something for three days and you know everything about it and you can talk yep. to quite a deep level about it and then you forget because you mm. move on to the next thing. And so a week later you're like, oh, I knew all about you know that particular thing they do in agriculture but now I've got no idea what it is it's something about horses or something and so um, what I tend to do besides that firstly I, I talk to people I do talk to people all the time and I'm actually not that interested in talking to the CEO I'm no. I'm more interested in talking to the people who are on the ground and doing things so I am interested in talking to the person who's handing out the towels but I'm probably going to be doing things like say oh you know thinking of going into town later where will be a good spot for a coffee you know mm. and I might not even ask the concierge because the concierge is probably going to send me to the same place he sends all the other tourists yeah. and so I would say and then if they give me that answer I kind of say yeah yeah but where do you go where do you go when you're on your day off so mm. I to my process is to tap into as many locals as I can as quickly as I can and just try and talk to them about normal life there because I think if you can get under the tourist facade and get to their sort of normal life, then that gives you some extra colour, we would call it, and that colour does add up to a sense of place. My other thing is that I, I love billboards. I love like bulletin boards. I've mm. always loved them. I've got a bit of an obsession with them. So every, the first, you know, if I go to somewhere, I go straight to the town square and I'm reading because I you know you get a sense of um even just by what they're selling you're like oh gosh people are selling I don't know Audis mm. versus beat up you know falcons and you can sort of get a sense of what the demographic is and what kind of the community is like there's lots of community activities and so I find that kind of stuff really adds up because you don't need a lot, do you? I mean, I know for myself, sometimes I've gone somewhere and I've gone, oh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get into this piece. And then I'll see something and I know I've snapped a mental picture and just my instinct tells me that will be the first paragraph of my story, that guy chewing that thing in that particular way and spitting it into that bucket or, you know, whatever it is that I've seen. Do, do, you, yeah. do you have that moment where you go, that, that, that's oh, going in the story? Oh, that moment. <laughs> that's the moment we all want. Um, and it is really important. And I think to get to that moment, you need to actually give yourself a bit of space. So while I am doing all those things, talking to people and looking at notice boards and sitting down with the local paper, I'm actually trying to 
not rush. I'm actually just trying to absorb. And, and I usually find if I'm somewhere for, let's say, four days, maybe it's on day two or day three that that moment mm. comes and I think, oh, this is how this whole thing is going to flow or hang together. And it's interesting because people who aren't writers tend to think that you need volume to get that. Mm. And so, um, you know, if I, if I do do corporate type work um, or even when I'm just interviewing people for a journalism article, they keep wanting to send you stuff and send you stuff and send you mm. stuff and you're sort of drowning in material. And actually, a good writer should be able to have some sort of process to get a quick macro picture on what's needed, whether that's travel writing or whether that's, I don't know, you're writing someone's website, um, and and then be able to filter out all the gaff that you don't need mm. and and use those beautiful moments because that's what readers will connect with. I, you, you made me think that when you said earlier that you had a journalist memory, I, I wrote a small travel book on my horrendous experience on the Indian Pacific Oh, I loved that. I remember reading that. <laughs> and when I when I was writing about Kalgoorlie, where the train stops, I'm like, I was so tired when I got off that train, and I was so ill. I hadn't taken any notes. I just I was I was a pub seeking missile, right? I was looking for a beer. Um, so I used Google Street View to retrace my steps um, when I got home, which was incredibly helpful because I couldn't remember the street names, I couldn't remember the name of the pub, um, but I knew what route I'd taken, so I rewalked it on Google Street View, which I found incredibly helpful. Um, so now I do all my travel writing just from Google Street View. Um, I don't the even, ultimate desk. Yeah, don't even, go, don't even go to the place. <laughs> so in, in terms of shortcuts for sort of sketching a place, you know, you like the, the bulletin board, um, you know, so you'll, you'll look at a bulletin board. I mean, is food a hideous cliche that, you know, if you go to South America, you're inevitably going to, you know, write about whatever the South American food of the place is? Um do you think there are cliches to avoid, or? Oh, there's plenty of there's plenty of cliches to avoid in travel writing, and most of them. The the question I think is a really good question to ask yourself if you're writing about travel is, does this sound like a travel brochure? Because if it sounds like a travel brochure, it's probably not a good piece of travel writing. They they travel brochures tend to be very cliche laden, mm. and that's it's actually not that compelling a yes. read. Whereas when you're doing a, a, a travel feature, say for a magazine or newspaper, uh, you're really trying to engage the readers in something that goes beyond cliches. So I'm always thinking of it as, you know, the shortcut for me is, is this something that people wouldn't find just out, out just by Googling? Mm. Like, is it an insider's tip? You know, can I offer them something that, would be hard for them to figure out themselves. That's always what I'm aiming for my readers mm. to get. Uh, you know, shortcuts to getting there, ooh, <laughs> uh, practice, yep. I think, and and knowing the balance between when you have enough and when you need to keep pushing and finding more. And that, again, probably you just get better at that with experience. I think that's right. You you get to an instinct where you're you know your notebook is full enough. You just... You just know, mm. and like when I'm interviewing somebody by by phone, I t I type as as you know as they talk, mm -hmm. and I know when I've typed enough words to yeah. to write an article. You've you've got a sense almost by by weight. I think I think a publication that sketches things really well 
that you wouldn't necessarily expect if you didn't read it is is the economist they have that often when they're writing about i don't know american politics or whatever they're writing about there will be the first two paragraphs will be some snapshot of you know what happened at a taco stand in texas that really brings you into the into the bigger picture mm. and that you know that's really what's called color and mm. so color is what makes certainly what makes travel writing come alive it's this it's a sense of place it's a sense of something beyond the facts because if you're just reading about facts and figures it's very difficult as a reader to let your imagination be engaged by that and we are always much more uh, impacted by something if we can let our imagination be engaged so I think yeah you definitely want to try and get the reader into that mental space and when you're writing, you know, doing corporate writing, let's say you're doing somebody's website, do, how much do you try to get a sense of place? And where, where do you think a sense of place would be appropriate? And where do you think that if I'm, if I'm Harry's, you know, car wash, maybe you don't need a, a sense of the, of the place? Or, or do you? Yeah, I think that I would translate it differently for copywriting and, and talk about their voice. So mm. what's the voice of their brand. Um, in journalism, we would probably refer to that as house style. So if I'm writing for a section in the Sydney Morning Herald, they're going to have quite a different house style to um, I don't know, a section of the, a yoga magazine that I write for regularly or an environment magazine or um, Vogue. Every, every publication has its own house style and it means that they the pieces have a distinct voice and brands are like that too um, and companies are very interested now in in creating their distinct brand and what they're really trying to do is have a voice that people recognize as their voice so it's you know if they're happy for that voice to be you know upbeat and pithy and a little bit cheeky well then great you can get it weave it in in that way but um they might actually just want, you know, quite often a, a corporate would just want the voice to mm. be, you know, professional and um, uh, authoritative and uh, compassionate perhaps might be the the combination that you're trying to work with. So uh, it's not always about it being uh, clever in, in a sense of, you know, clever pithy, engaging writing. That way it has to also uh, make sense in the broader context of what they're doing and all their other collateral. I used to work for for quite a while in internal communications and, you know, the the more I talk to you, the more I think I should have been doing more to get a sense of place into that. I think it was, you know, I I spent a lot of time trying to make the writing, uh, you know, more interesting, which in a corporate environment is a pretty low bar, right, to to (laughs) overcome. Um, but, you know, I, I think now that I look at it, you know, they had offices around the country. And if I'd spent a bit more time trying to bring that to life for people, it could have been a lot more interesting. Uh, yeah. And, and I have done that. Um, I have done that work in the past pre prior to my journalism days. I, I worked in communications and and thinking about it, actually, what people really love in in any sort of. It, they love this in journalism, but they also love this in, in corporates. They love people's stories. So mm. you you bring in 
you know, a sense of place through the the tales of other employees. And, you know, without fail, any newsletter that I've ever put together for anyone, the section, you know, when you track it and you see which sections being are being most read, yeah. it's always the one that's just the Q&A with a random employee talking about, I don't know, their favourite hobby or, yeah. you know, it's five minutes with Fred. Um, talking about his job, or and and it's because we're not really sold by corporate speak. Like it's really easy to be pushed down that line, but actually that's not really what people are going to read. So if you're smart about it, you're going to use those things to draw people. The more inter- the people stories to draw people in. Well, I said to somebody once in 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 the internal communications department, I said, you, you know, they were speculating on why you know things weren't well received, and I said, well, because it's North Korea in here, and and he said, what do you mean? I said, well, all we ever write is you know the harvest is abundant, the peasants are happy, um, you know, spring has come early, and it's like we are the peasants. We know the harvest is not abundant. We know it's very cold, and spring is late this year. Um, so we don't believe a word you're saying. It's so true. Yeah, and and it is hard. I mean. I suppose, you know, if you're in that corporate environment and that goes to a sort of travel question for me, you know, often, which is a real disappointment to aspiring travel writers, is the easiest travel writing to do is travel writing for your hometown because nobody, it's much easier to persuade somebody to pay you for 500 words about, you know, Sydney than to put you on a plane to go somewhere else as an untested writer. (laughs) Do, Do you think it's harder to write, easier rather, to write about a new place because you're suddenly noticing everything. Uh, yeah, look, and th- there are a couple of publications out there that will only take travel writing from people who live in the mm. place. And I always think that's a bit unfair because I can see it from both sides. Look, on one hand, if you're if you're a local, you should have some great local tips. You should have some fantastic insider tips up, up your sleeve and it should be pretty easy for you to come up with an interesting piece but by the same token if you're a professional and your skill is digging out interesting stuff um, from places and people then you know you should land anywhere and do that same thing Uh, I think the challenge probably is if people don't leave themselves enough time to do that so uh, for example sometimes travel writing trips are are very organized and you go with other journalists and you're on a very Mm. tight itinerary that's compelling in one sense because usually you're not paying anything to do that but I try not to do those kind of trips I try and do a a trip where you know for most mostly I'm still not actually paying if we're being honest other people are sort of hosting it but I'm I'm on my own time in terms of an itinerary I'm just there by myself so and I have figured out in advance you know what I'm doing xyz story and i'm going to need six days to make this work or um there are stories that i just know if i only have 24 hours i just i just know i can't do a good job because it's it's not going to be possible for me to go beyond what people could find out through a brochure um so sometimes i think it's just actually about being willing to invest a bit more time in in the experience that really comes out doesn't it when you read the work of somebody like jan morris who you know, seems to have gone and, you know, spent three months in New York yeah. before she would, you know, consider writing so much as a sentence yeah. about the place. 
Yeah, that's right. And look, in, in some ways, that's a luxury because, mm, um, yeah. you know, people are always time crunched. And, and you know, as freelancers, you're going somewhere and, you know, I'm going on a trip next week and I'm, I think I've sold five stories before I've gone, but I'm, I'm already thinking, all oh, right, I could do this story and this story and this story. So I'm actually trying to, you know, pack in the itinerary so that the time money equation works out you know, in your favour as well. So, yes, it would be very lovely just to <laughs> to take that approach if you can, absolutely. Well, I suppose, I suppose to get, you know, to paint people a picture of what it takes to, you know, give somewhere a, a sense of place, what's a sort of, you know, typical day for you? I mean, let's say you're doing a story where, where I'm going to read about the five-star hotel that you stayed in and, you know, had mojitos. And in, in my mind, as a, somebody who isn't a travel writer, I'm going to think, wow, that's amazing. She got up at noon, she had a mojito she ate an amazing meal and then she went to her very comfy bed. Um, mm. what, what does a day actually look like for Sue White on the road? You know, it depends if if the story was simply to write a review about a hotel, it may almost look like that because mm. um, I would probably be staying, I probably wouldn't be staying just one night. I'd be probably trying to stay two nights because you kind of lose the first day when you get mm. there anyway. So I'd probably have 36 hours there to do it. So uh, I, but there would inevitably be something interesting in the morning, like, you know, a beautiful buffet breakfast out by the pool. Or mm. I do a lot of uh, well being writing. So that means I'm up at yoga classes that, you know, holiday yoga, they're pretty kind and that tends mm. to not start till eight. But, you know, if it's a serious yoga experience, then you're, you know, in a class by seven. And so by the time you're at breakfast, you've done, you know, a couple of hours of exercise or something. So it's all very lovely things to do, but it's not um, necessarily lying around having a sleep in. And the other thing I would be doing if I'm there doing a story on a hotel is I would also be doing other stories. So, mm. Um, yes, I might be doing a story on that hotel, but I'm probably also going on a bird watching tour for a, some, a, a story for someone else, and that leaves it, you know, quarter to seven. <laughs> so yeah. I'm up and out, and then I'm back at 11, and then I'll do lunch, and the marketing manager will come and meet me at lunch and give me a bit <laughs> of a brief for the hotel, and they'll want to show me around all the different rooms. Yep. Um, and which you you need to do to be polite. It's not always necessary because really I could get that from their website. Yep. So it's probably better uses of, of my time. And in the afternoon, I'm either doing some sort of experience at the hotel. Again, if I'm doing well-being stuff, well, in a way, this is nice because you get to go and have nice spa treatments and things like that. But if not, I'll be off doing some other activity in the town. You know, you come back, you tend to have pre-dinner drinks with someone else and mm. then you know dinner and then and on and on it goes so there actually isn't a lot of lying around there's and and the thing is if there's lying around then you tend to be thinking oh do i need to take some photos of this or oh i should just catch up on my notes and and you sort of sitting and scrolling in your notebook so um i wouldn't actually say it's relaxing but on the on the other hand, it is a, just a, an amazing life experience. So there are very few people you can complain to about it. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. The first travel story I ever did, um, I was doing it for an American airline magazine and, you know, they needed me to – it was one of those stories where you had to be a local um, and they wanted mm -hmm. me to place their readers in a hotel. So I, I had to stay in the hotel. So I phoned the Peninsula in Hong Kong 
and said, look, this is the gig and, you know, I need a night in the hotel. And the PR woman said, oh, look, we'll think about it and I'll get back to you. I'd never done this before. Mm-hmm. She phones up the next day and said, look, you know, we've, we've had to think about it. And, you know, her voice was like, there's a problem. I'm like, oh, God, you know, she's going <laughs> to say, how dare you be so cheeky. And she said, we don't think you can fully appreciate the hotel in one night. Yeah. Would you mind staying for two? <laughs> and we're going to send a Rolls Royce to come and pick you up. Mm. Um, and I spent 17 years trying to recreate that experience. <laughs> that has never <laughs> yeah. happened again. That it, look, I, I could I could give you a number of moments like that where you are just like, okay, this is pretty darn great. But there are also moments where you are trying to convince someone that it is worth it for them to support you. And so, it, you know, I've had... I've had people question me over needing to do a surf lesson that would cost them thirty dollars mm. as a you know a part of a story, and then I've had other people where I've stayed at their place for five nights, and on the fifth day, and it was a whole. This was another a retreat, and it was beautiful in the rainforest, and the whole thing was you know food and everything. And on the fifth day, they said, "Look, we just we just feel like you've been a bit." busy while you've been here because I've been, of course, <laughs> off exploring, you know, doing other stories in the meantime. And they said, you haven't really just had any time to just sit around in the hammock and like, would you, you know, would you stay another two nights? Oh. And um, and uh, I didn't because I had, um, I felt ethically that actually I had, I had enough material. I knew I was at that point where I was like, actually, I would love to, but I would just be kicking back. So I actually... I can't. But the, the, the funniest part was that they I said, she said, oh, I meant you. I saw a friend in town and I said, oh, we've got a, a travel writer staying with us at the moment. And they said, oh, right, is she real? Is she the real thing? <laughs> and the woman said, oh, I don't, I don't know. And I said, well, didn't you check? When I asked if I could come and stay, I sent you the link to my website and, you know, you could see the thing. She goes, oh, yeah, I didn't bother checking that. I just trusted you. <laughs> so, you know, on one hand, you have all these people who will will really question you over your $30 surf lesson and then other people who just will, you know, just take you on, take it on faith. So it's an interesting exercise in observing people. When I was doing audio travel features for Virgin um, in-flight entertainment, the only company that asked me to prove my bona fides um, was the Sydney Harbour Bridge Climb. We had nights in hotels, degustation meals. Everybody just took me at, took me at my word. I think there's a certain way that journalists speak to you on the phone that PR people <laughs> recognise as a signal. Um, yes, we're not, we, we did have to get to the point fairly quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and have a terrible sense of entitlement. So where are you off to next? I am off to Europe, actually. Oh. I'm off to Europe for six weeks Oof. and uh, five, five countries uh, and one small baby. So it should be quite interesting. <laughs> And will the baby be part of the angle or is the baby uh, yes, going to be in the background? Yes, of course. So, yes, the, the baby is – so I'm doing a whole bunch of stories on um, major European cities with a baby. So for um, a kid-focused magazine and I'm doing another story on flying with a baby and I'm doing another story on packing gear. <laughs> and so, yes, but I will be aiming to do some non-baby-focused stories while I'm there but – Given that um, 
he is there and has to be looked after. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting until I see on the ground what else happens, <laughs> see what, what I'm able to do before I get too engrossed in, um, too deep in pitching other stories. <laughs> so people can, can work with you, Sue, and, and I'm guessing the baby is optional, right? Where appropriate he comes and he's, he's, he's part of the work. He's very lovely, yeah. <laughs> And I know they can find out more about you at suewhite.com.au. But if, if people want to work with you and, and you know, get the benefit of your, your experience, whether, whether it's travel writing and a sense of place for your writing or anything else, how can they work with you? The best way is to contact me through my website. Um, so I do tend to do – I mostly focus on – journalistic things so I might write um, a bunch of features for someone to appear on their blog for example and interview a whole swag of um, you know Swiss CEOs for example <laughs> make them sound engaging uh, so I, I quite like doing that uh, I, I do quite like doing that work um, uh, but I you know my primary work is uh, journalism and travel so um, anything involving interviewing or crafting a story yeah they can certainly contact me always happy well Sue thank you very much for talking to us today a pleasure thank you you've been listening to Tale Making from Taylist make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to our mailing list at taylist.com that's tale as in telling tales taylist.com go over to the podcast section and you'll find a sign up form there we also have a library of bonus material exclusively for subscribers so do head over to taylist.com and sign up now Until next time, I've been Stephen Lewis and thank you for listening. Next week on the Tailmaking Podcast. They're actually quite proud to sit there and start telling you about their story and, you know, how they started the business, where it started, how they've grown it, how they've changed. And, you know, that that's the... They're the conversations for me that are gold, enabling me to be able to help someone. Sign up at tailmaking.com.